She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Episode 21. Tombs. All right, let's talk about Tombs. This is the episode where Eugene's Tombs comes back. Cool. Yeah. So it was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong and directed by David Nutter. This is the fifth of six episodes that David Nutter directs in season one, so he has one more this season. And he'll go on to direct five more in season two and four more in season three. Yeah, and he has like a huge career as a director as well. Like after this, he directs, basically he's a guy who directs pilots for series that then become series is what I found out. Like oh, later in cool. Life. So yeah, he's like, yeah, there's a big list. We can talk about that. Um, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode was filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia, including what was then called the City Square Mall, but is now called the City Square Shopping Center because differentiation is important. Its original air date was Friday, April 22nd, 1994. It had a viewership of 13.4 million in the United States, which technically this is the first time viewership has ever gone up immediately after an episode that was written by Chris Carter. <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah, usually they go down. I don't know if those are related. They're, they're correlated. I don't know if this, you know, causality, but yeah. yeah. Well, Darkness so. Falls, I think... <laughs> That episode scared a lot of people. And I think because a lot of us, I mean, I, I've talked to people who watched it when it originally aired who were about my age. And I think maybe maybe because we were younger or whatever, but it, it freaked people out. And so I think it did bring people back because they're like, whoa, this show's doing weird stuff. Let's see what's going yeah. on. Oh, it was just the bugs too. Like people freak out about bugs sometimes. It's true. It's true. Uh, bugs are scary. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, not bugs. Uh, what's this episode about? So in this episode, Eugene Victor Toombs, who is the villain from Squeeze, is now up for release at his sanitarium. He was never convicted of any crime beyond assaulting Scully because there wasn't enough evidence to tie him to any of the murders. And the experts at the sanitarium all feel that he's ready for release. Meanwhile, assistant director Walter Skinner warns Scully that she and Mulder need to start playing by the book or the X-Files might be dissolved. And Mulder and Scully need to find evidence to arrest Tombs before he kills again and disappears for 30 years. And yes, I'm very excited Skinner is back. Or here. Skinner's here. Say, I thought you were going to burst out in like Oh my gosh, I was so excited to see him. Like I pretty much... I screamed. I was really, really excited. I had to like pause and go on Twitter and be like, Skinner's back! And everyone's like, what are you even talking about? Anyway, yeah. Although I do have to say, like, wouldn't the assault on Scully have to, like, at the bare minimum, have included breaking and entering and an assault charge? on a federal employee, which almost always tend to have higher sentencing minimums. Yeah. So I was thinking about this actually, because I was kind of wondering like they like couldn't he broke tie into him her to... house. Right. I mean they couldn't tie him to the murders, but like he assaulted her in a way that the murders happened. But I was also thinking like if they couldn't find enough evidence to convict him of the murders or even like arraign him I could see a judge saying, like, you can't bring those up in his trial because there's not enough evidence. And then, like, he could just plead insanity on the Scully thing and say, like, oh, I was under so much stress because they arrested me and Mulder was harassing me or whatever. And I think that's probably what happened is that, like, he pleaded insanity and he had, like, a really good attorney. And that's why he's in a sanitarium. But it is kind of weird because you're right. It feels like that should be a bigger crime. 
Yeah, and do they actually parole you from sanitariums? Don't they just release you? Like, do they have actual court hearings about that kind of stuff? I don't know. Well, they don't call it a parole hearing. They're just like a release, whatever. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Okay. I guess after a certain point, they can't keep you locked up if you haven't been convicted of a big enough crime. I guess. All Although right. assaulting Scully in her house seems pretty. Yeah, because like he at, he <laughs> broke. He was in her house. I mean, they're just that right, <laughs> right there. Right. It wasn't like <laughs> he saw her on the street. Yeah, and usually if you get into someone's house without like permission it's not just like usually there's like a series of charges that involves because like it's not just like breaking and entering there's all different kinds of levels that, oh someone broke into their house and they're charged with like, like 13 things i know <laughs> all the different stuff so yeah just yeah bit. it yeah. does seem really soon and yeah you're right it's weird yeah so anyway so we are at druid hill sanitarium in baltimore maryland and we're like getting the outside shot and we kind of pan across the building and then we're inside and the camera pans past the cell doors and we get two names that I'm pretty sure are people who actually work on the show. And then we get to the third door and it says Tombs Eugene Victor, which I'm not sure where they had to like barely squeeze his whole name onto the door when no one else does that, but they did. And then also while we were panning, we got lots of moans and groans and cries and all those tropey, like you're in a mental institution kind of noises, which are admittedly they were over the top and kind of irritating. But I digress. So we look through the door and there's that food slot that we saw in Squeeze. And apparently Tombs has it open and we see his yellow eyes. And then he extends his arms through the slot pops his shoulder out of joint and then reaches up towards the lock on his door because the door's got like a big slide lock on top. At first I thought he was going to reach for the handle and I was like, whoa, they just put the door handle right there by the food slot. But anyway, that's not what he was doing. It does have a lock. Mm -hmm. But before we can reach it, the door to the main hall opens and two men come walking through. And one of them is Dr. Monty. And he knocks on the door and he's like, Eugene, Eugene. And the orderly slides the big slide lock that's at the top of the door open and they walk in and He's like, are you sleeping? And he's like, no. Then he like sits up and he's like, oh, well, I know you're worried about tomorrow, but hey, you know what? I took a sneak peek at the reports for your hearing. And it seems like several of the experts testifying agree with me that you're ready to be released. So he's like, so get some sleep. Everything's going to be fine tomorrow and we'll keep our fingers crossed. And they leave. And then we get a scene of Tombs looking all creepy again because he had yellow eyes at first. Of course, when he's talking to the doctor, he has normal eyes. But then his eyes go yellow again and he's got the creepy smile and he crosses his fingers and they cross. He like crosses his middle fingers. Like I think it's like his index finger is missing or is not in shadow or something, which I can't cross my middle fingers. I tried. It doesn't I work. can't. I just did it. Oh, fine. Be that so. way. I can bend my thumbs backwards. So there. <laughs> anyway, and then we get the theme song. So. Yes. Yeah. So clearly this like trying to reach the lock is a thing he's probably been working on for a while and he can't quite get there yet. Um, yeah. Which given how far he can squeeze and squeeze is a little surprising. Especially some of the things that happened later in the episode that were expected that he's squeezing through is like, yeah, he should have just, his whole body should have been able to go through the hole and like left and have to. Yeah. It's a pretty good size hole too. It looks bigger than yeah. it did in squeeze. Yeah, it definitely does. Anyway. So then we're at FBI headquarters and Scully is at the office of assistant director, Walter Skinner, who is finally in the show. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, you guys. And behind no him. no idea how excited she is, guys. Oh but my gosh. Like, I'm really. I've been, I've been hearing about this every time. I just. Like, I don't know. Skinner's yeah. great. I love him and I've missed him. 
thus far, and I'm glad he's back. And the cigarette smoking man is in the room, which again, we haven't seen him since when is the last time we actually saw him? And I'm not counting Young at Heart or Lazarus or whatever, but mm. I don't remember. Was it the pilot? It might have been pilot. I think that's when what I was thinking. he's walking the stuff up in the little Indiana Jones warehouse. Yeah, I think I don't think we've seen him since then. I don't think so. I mean, there was another episode where Scully had to talk to Blevins, but I don't remember if he was there that time or not. I don't think he was. So anyway, cigarette smoking man's there. Skinner's in his office. Apparently, Blevins is doing something else. <laughs> who, who knows? I don't think we ever see Blevins again. I think that's it. He wasn't in Fallen Angel, was he? When Mulder had the hearing? No, because remember, I thought that it was going to be the cigarette smoking oh, man. Oh, that's but it right. Was, yeah. It was he, but he wasn't like, yeah, that's right. He wasn't. Oh, because that's right. Yeah. He wouldn't have been in the hearing because you thought he was going to talk to Deep Throat. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't. It was actually yeah, so Deep Throat I, not. So I think it might have been Pilot was the last time I actually saw him. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So anyway, he's back now. And Skinner, like Scully is sitting there and Skinner tells Scully that a lot of her reports include irregular procedures, anonymous witnesses, inconclusive findings. And she just kind of explains that the X-Files mean unconventional methods that they can't always use, like the standard, whatever. And Skinner's like, oh, so should the FBI adopt different rules for the X-Files? And Scully's like, well, well, no. But like you can see, we have a case resolution of 75%, which is way higher than other departments. So clearly we're doing something right. And then Skinner's like, well, you're going to need to increase the frequency of your reports. And I'm going to need you guys to stick to procedure. And Scully's like, well, that's going to lower our rate of success because the unusual nature of our cases. And at that point, like the cigarette smoking man just like puts a cigarette out in the ashtray. And Scully just kind of stares at the smoke. So basically, Basically, the X-Files needs to fly straight, fly right, because otherwise Skinner is not going to be happy. I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like they're going for the self-fulfilling prophecy of like, because he mentions the fact that they, like their high case resolution numbers are, are like the only things that are saving them right now. Yeah. And if like having to do all these other things is going to reduce their case right. resolution, then it's like, well, then we can just get rid of you because you're not doing anything. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's totally meant to screw them over. Yeah. So we are at Toombs's parole hearing and the court calls experts to testify and several of them explain that he was upset at losing his job, which is why he like attacked Scully because it was displaced anger. So apparently displaced anger is like, yeah, you don't have to go to jail. Anyway, <laughs> others testify that they've run like a series, like all kinds of tests, chromosomal tests and like body scans and all this kind of stuff. And they haven't been able to find anything that would appear that he is not like a normal human, like nothing strange or mutated or whatever. And that he just wants to go back to his old job. Like, and he's like, starts staring at like people. Like at one point the doctor's testifying, Dr. Monte, and he's tapping his pencil when he's talking about how like Tombs just wants to go back to his job, how it gave him like satisfaction and a reason, you know, to get up and all that kind of stuff. And while he's tapping his pencils, Tombs just like zooms out and like, his eyes get all yellow, but then he like realizes what's going on. He lowers his head because you know you don't want to look like a freaky mutant in the middle of your court hearing, I guess. Nope. And then Dr. Monte says there's no reason that Tombs would be a danger to himself or to anyone else. Then Mulder right. gets on the stand mm -hmm. and he says that he worked at the behavioral unit profiling serial killers. And then Tombs is like, um, excuse me, like 
my client is not a serial killer. He has not been charged with any murders and there's no evidence of any of them. And so they're like, okay, well you can proceed, but proceed with caution. And so then he whips out the slideshow. <laughs> Mulder slideshow. Yep. And he's like, well, he was locked up in the sanitarium due to the assault on Agent Scully. And then he's showing like all the crimes from all the people over the years. And then he starts talking about how like the crimes committed in the 1930s and the crimes committed in the 1960s and all the victims found with their doors locked and uh, no obvious point of entry and their livers removed. And that like souvenirs were taken from the victims and all the souvenirs were found in tombs as residents. And that like there's been a Eugene Victor tombs in that residence for like the last hundred years and just like he hibernates for 30 years and he's a mutant and they need to get him or if he gets out, he's going to kill people again. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gets really over the top and the fact that he brings in like the older murders and all this stuff is not helping his case at all. No. Like, Although it's, I don't understand. So like the doctor is talking about like run all these tests and da 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 da. And there's no, but like, at the end of squeeze, they also ran some tests and they did find some biological abnormalities. Right. So like, do those, do those tests just not get to be counted? Did like, you know, and like Mulder talks about like how, like they weren't allowed to do any further tests after, right after he was at, when he was actually convicted, well, not convicted when he was actually like, he, they did tests, but then like his lawyer stopped all testing after that. But like the preliminary test they did, did show abnormalities, but like, so that stuff doesn't count. Like, yeah, well, I can see them not letting them use those tests, but it's weird that these other tests aren't finding anything odd. I mean, I guess maybe because technicality, because maybe they were done before, you know, like he had a lawyer. And so you could be like, he didn't have representation. He didn't know what he was agreeing to. And right. So, so they got technicality wise, they got thrown out. Yeah, I guess. It still seems weird. But. Yeah, it's weird to me that they're just not finding anything on the new tests because like clearly there's something genetically different. Yeah, like does his, does like his whole body like chemistry change and everything? Maybe Only when that happens. Control it somehow? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. So outside the hearing room, Scully sits down next to Mulder. I guess she saw the last part. I didn't see her come in or... Yeah, she comes room. in. She comes in like right after he starts and sits. Okay. Like I think right after he gets um, like, hey, you can't be talking about that serial killer stuff because our client's not convicted of anything. Okay, that's when and like, so in. he's getting a little, he's already kind of gotten a little frustrated about that. And then it's, I think it's right before he starts the slideshow, he sees her walk in. Okay. So, and she sits so, in the back. Yeah. Yeah. So she sits down next to him and she's like, your testimony sounded unhinged. Like that was nothing anyone's ever going to believe. And Mulder asked where she was. Cause I guess she was supposed to testify and she missed her like window to t like, she was supposed to be there earlier to testify and wasn't there. And so Scully says Skinner called her into his office and that he wants to reel her in. And then the hearing reconvenes, so they go back in, and the court, which is, it's not like a real courtroom, it's just like three people, so it's like a panel of people, and they basically release Toombs under three conditions. He has to remain under counseling with Dr. Monty, he has to get his old job back and keep working there, and he has to live with Mr. and Mrs. Green, who I guess usually take in people who are released from the sanitarium, and they're like trained in... I'm not sure exactly what they're trained in, but they're trained in stuff to like help people transition back into life after being in the sanitarium. Yeah. They're trained in being plump and probably having nice juicy livers is what they're probably trained in. I mean, because when he looks back at him, he's like, oh, hmm, yeah, yeah. I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I guess it's not a real court case because like the judge doesn't even have a real gavel. She's got like a little piece of wood that she's all right. tap, tap, tap. It's more like a release. panel hearing and they're trying to decide yeah. if they're going to release him or whatever. Yeah. Isn't Skinner calling Scully to a meeting when she's supposed to be 
at a hearing, a tr- you know, whatever this is, like, isn't that hindering an investigation? Because, like, she's supposed to testify in this hearing, and he's not letting her because he called her into a meeting. And then also, like, she was technically, like, the victim during her assailants, you know, like, wouldn't, like, isn't that, that seems like they do that on purpose? I, that I'm not sure like- if he knew, but what's weird is that, like, they don't, and I understand, like, in court, there are things where like this person's going to testify at this time. And if they don't make it, then we can, you know, the other lawyers can like argue that like, Oh, they missed the window. And like, but like, it seems weird. They wouldn't let her testify. She's there. Like get her up on the stand. I don't know. Yeah. It just all seems like, so like Mulder's there, like in an official capacity as an FBI agent. And I'm assuming Scully's testimony was also probably supposed to be like official FBI testimony. But then again, also she's like technically the victim for his original incarceration. And so the fact that like, she's, basically been prevented from testifying by having to go to this meeting just seems like i don't know yeah it's it's weird the whole thing is weird the fact that they're even releasing this guy i don't know it's weird seems like someone's being paid off at the sanitarium to let this guy out and i don't know why that would happen but yeah there's a lot of shoehorning that goes on in this episode that we will get into so Mulder and scully leave the hearing and Mulder says he'll keep an eye on Tombs, but they need to find evidence that definitively links him to one of the murders. Because at this point, he's got one murder left, and then he's going to hibernate. And so if they don't catch him, he's going to kill again, and then he's going to disappear. And Scully says looking into the murders from 30 or 60 years ago will involve unorthodox methods, which obviously they're not supposed to be doing. And Mulder's like, well, there's no statute of limitations on murder. And then Mulder's like, look, if you're reluctant because you don't believe what Tombs is, that's one thing. But if it's fear of bureaucratic reprisal, then Skinner's not only reeled you in, he's already skinned you. And get it? Skinned? Skinned her? Skinner? <laughs> yeah, I don't know I don't, what that was. I don't know if that was intentional, but that's what went into my head. And then Tombs walks past them, like he's being marched past, he's with the Greens, and he smiles at them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just... and and that's totally like the I got away with it. Oh, one hundred percent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like he smiles. Like he's like a <laughs> pleasant person. Yeah. And then the Greens tell Tombs, they're like, "Oh, I hope you'll be comfortable in the small back room. I'm sure you'll squeeze in." And he's like, "I'm sure." Yeah. So yeah. some bad puns there. Yeah. The second one, I'll definitely give you. The first one, I'm not so sure. Well, I don't know if it was yeah. intentional, but I definitely was like. I'm, well, I'm pretty Skinner. sure the squeeze in one because like he even inflects it. I'm sure you'll be able to squeeze in because even like pauses when he says it. So you're yeah, like, oh, my the God. actors. <laughs> it was very not subtle yeah. at all. No, um, and no. so like this is where I'm guessing like this is I think they brought Skinner in. 100% because Scully wasn't antagonistic enough and like she can't be because at this point I think originally when the show was conceived she was gonna f- fight Mulder more on things and be more of an antagonistic force and maybe because of her belief in science she would be writing reports that didn't make him look that great but I think what happened is they ended up having a really good dynamic the way the scripts have been she's seen stuff like even though she hasn't seen people floating in the air and stuff she's seen stuff that is undeniably kind of weird and she likes Mulder. They get along. So she's kind of on his side now. And so they need someone else to come in and kind of be the quote unquote bad guy who can put pressure on both of them and the X-Files. And so that's what I think is going on with Skinner. Yeah. And also too, I mean, whether you like original intentions or not, I mean, like we talked about it in uh, Beyond the Sea where they were starting to get some misogynistic pushback basically about if, like if she was the person who was being like the like the hard ass then that just was built in and then it would be like, Oh, she's a woman. Cause they were starting to get that kind of like 
Scully is a bitch. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. And so, yeah, so that would probably, I mean, that was probably, a, whether it was because of like the dynamic between like Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny also maybe helped. But I think that was a good choice because you don't want, especially if they were already getting that kind of stuff. Imagine if she was actually like Skinner level, like pushing against Mulder. Oh my God, it would be perfect probably. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, yeah. So then we cut to a scene of someone getting out of a vehicle marked Baltimore Animal Regulation. And we only see them like from the knee down. They're walking and they go and they pick up a dead rat from the gutter and they put it in a trash bag. And then we pan up a little bit and we see that it's Tombs. And he goes and puts the bag in the back of his van. And then he like looks around to see if anyone's looking. And then he like totally like licks his entire almost his entire hand basically like just like scooby-doo licks it basically like the tongue wraps around his fingers he's all slurp he's got like gloves on but still so apparently he likes the taste of rats now i don't know why this is suddenly something new but it is and then he's getting ready to get in his van and he's just like his head turns and there's this lady in a purple coat getting some coffee at a little coffee stand and then he just like eyes go yellow and he just totally starts walking towards her like he's just compelled. And then we cut to his, like, his point of view. And everything is in black and white except for her. She's the only person in color. And then we get this like in the point of view. Like we get this like grayscale like shirt and tie that pops into his view. And it's Mulder. And he's like, hey, can you help me find my dog? I lost <laughs> it. His name is Heinrich. And he's like a Norwegian elk hound and stuff like this and and tombs is like all it gets all mad he walks back to the van and <laughs> he just totally like peels out <laughs> so yeah like yeah. so much for being subtle there uh eugene tombs like geez anyway just like totally tracking that lady down oh yeah and then uh that van has more logos on it than like a nascar vehicle it's got like it's like it's got like the logo on the door it's got the big logo on the side of the van it's got like two logos on each of the back doors of the van it's got like logos everywhere like they busted the budget out on like stickers for this van <laughs> the props people were having fun they were having a i good guess day. yeah and possible wong sighting in the scene oh yeah because one of the guys in the background getting coffee I think might be James Wong. I had to check. The only photos I've been able to find of James Wong is like more recent photos. So he's like older and he's a little bit heavier. But like the jawline looks the same and he's wearing the same glasses and the haircut looks kind of close. But he's really, but he's much thinner. So I'm not sure that it's him. I'm really hoping I'm not going to that. Oh, he's an Asian guy and they all look the same kind of thing. Well, hopefully but not. But... I did. Yeah, but I did like go and try to make, I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing that and be like, oh, that's James Wong. It's an Asian dude. But like the jawline matches and because um, he's got like a little bit, even though when he was, even when he was like thinner, he's got kind of like a little bit of a double chin, just way his like his jaw is shaped. And so like that matches, even though like the current photo is a little heavier. Got the glasses, the haircut kind of matches. The build is off a little bit, but like, just he's like heavier now so it's hard to tell so i don't know what he looked like in 93 and i could not find any photos that were like contemporaneous to 93 94 huh. so but i think it's him but i could be wrong it'd be interesting i didn't see anything about him making a cameo but you never know yeah i tried to look for it and no one said anything you think that's the kind of thing they would say i mean if i'm sure if morgan was a cameo he'd be like telling freaking everybody <laughs> about oh i was in this episode i mean i think he would probably but, say it no matter who he'd be like oh you can see chris carter's uh, hand in this scene. just say anything just make shit up but anyway <laughs> Not that time yet, so. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. So then we're at Lynn Acres' retirement home, and we're back with Detective Frank Briggs. 
And he's looking at a cutout article about Tomb's release, and he, like, crumples it up, and his eyes get a little, like, wet. And Scully's there, so presumably she gave him the clipping and let him know that, like, Tomb's is out now. I don't know. For yeah, because sure. why would you, like, carefully, like, tear out a clipping just so you could, like, crumple it up and throw it away? I don't yeah, know. I think Scully brought it I'm guessing she brought it to him. To him. Um, and so he's like, well, if Tombs gets away now, you'll be my age by the next time he surfaces. And so Scully's like, well, you know, is there anything you can tell us? Maybe some connection between the victims? Like, I know we've seen all the evidence, but is there anything on, among the evidence that, like, doesn't fit or that's kind of weird or anything that you have thought over the years that might point us in the right direction? And Bridge does say there's one thing that never sat right with him. All the victims were found at the crime scenes with their livers removed, um, like all five in the 1964 crimes. Mm-hmm. But in 1934... Only four of the victims were found at the crime scene, and one victim was never found. So they did find, like, a piece of a liver, and he believes it came from the fifth victim. That's the piece that I think we looked at last episode. I'm like, where did that come from? Yeah. And Briggs... It's been upgraded to a bigger jar. Yeah, it's a lot bigger. It's (laughs) it's true. Um, And he says it was found when they were building the chemical plant, and Briggs thinks that there was something about the victim that could have been tied to Tombs. So this person was someone that Tombs knew or worked with or somehow could have been tied to him. And that's why he hid that body and didn't bother to hide the others because they were just strangers, had no connection, but this person probably did. And he believes that the victim was buried in the foundation of the chemical plant. So that's something he's thought all these years. Yeah. And so apparently, I mean, one, they got the same guy, so that's cool. Detective Frank Briggs, but apparently he's been moved because he wasn't in. A, he was in his apartment when we saw him last time, and now he's in a retirement home. So. I thought he was in the same retirement. Like no, I think he was. I think he was just in his apartment. I thought. I thought it was um, Lynn Acres' like retirement home. Still, I it think seemed it was. like a smaller room. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It's just convenient that he has this liver like in a box. So oh yeah, I no. Did, maybe he just moved into the retirement home, and so he's got like his stuff in a box. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I thought they were in his apartment before. Maybe I'm just conflating because like Tombs's apartment and da, 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 so they might have been. I'd have to go back and look. So we cut to the chemical plant, and Scully and Briggs are there, and Briggs has got a little. What are those? What are those hats called? Uh, it's a cool hat. It's like what you see like older dudes with beards wearing. I don't know, but. it's one of those kind of hats and there's someone is there using like a ground penetrating radar and they're examining the floor. And so Scully is of course doing her exposition, explaining what ground penetrating radar is to everyone. And Briggs is like playing that up of like, he's making sure he asks the questions so that she can answer the audience's questions. And then, so she explained how it works and, and he's like, uh, and so it differentiates and she's like, yes. And he's like, Oh, so like it guesses. And she's like, yeah, I guess. And so then she walks over to the guy using the radar scanner and asks him how it's going. He's like, oh, there's a couple things, maybe, whatever. And meanwhile, Briggs, like, in his wheelchair, he wheels down a hallway, and then he goes into this room where the floor is kind of dirty, and then suddenly he's like, here! It's here! It's here! And they all run in. He's like, the body is here. It's right here. So he was like, hmm, guesses. I have a hunch. And then he went <laughs> and found it. So. Yeah, well, then presumably they run the radar over it and look for disturbances to see. Yes. So, yeah. And meanwhile, Tombs is out working, and he sees another man, and his vision does that whole, like, everything goes black and white, except this dude thing. Yeah, the dude's wearing, like, a super bright blue, like, suit and trench coat, and, like, the last lady was wearing, like, a purple trench coat, and so, like, he's obviously developed a thing for, like, bright 90s colors. Oh, no. Purple and blue or are my maybe favorite that's just, colors. 
they needed to use that so the desaturation filter worked. Probably, so, yeah. Which is probably what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so then we cut back to the plant, and they're cutting at the floor where Briggs was talking. They're using a jackhammer on it, so I'm, I'm guessing they used the radar on it to make sure and didn't just like oh yeah jackhammer in the floor because <laughs> like this guy who we talked about this before like he's he he doesn't look it but he's got to be in his 80s because he was a sheriff in the 1930s so right. he's got to be like in his 80s he doesn't look like he's in his 80s it looks like maybe he's like in his late 60s early 70s but anyway so yeah so I'm assuming they did the radar found something they're jackhammering it and they start clearing away the rubble and they have the skeletal human hand that has what I'm guessing is a wedding band on it, but we actually never, I don't think we ever hear anything else about the wedding band action though, but they made a big deal of like making sure they like cleaned away so you can see the wedding band in this one. But yeah, it's like a big gold ring and it's pretty yeah. prominent. It looks silver to me, but it could just be old. I don't know. Yeah. yeah or it might like, just be my TV. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it was like a, but it's like a wedding band kind of thing. It was just like a, like this just plain metal, not like fancy with diamonds or anything like that. Yeah. So the guy Toombs was watching parks in front of his house and he goes inside and then Toombs's van rolls up behind that guy's car and he parks and then Mulder's sedan um, doesn't have its headlights on, but like rolls up behind Toombs's van and kind of parks a couple car lengths back. Dude, where's the neighborhood watching this fancy neighborhood? Like not watching. No one notices all this, <laughs> I guess. So um, the man is now inside his house and he's like in a little office type room and he's working on a pie chart, <laughs> which is very 90s computer type stuff. Like he's putting numbers in and making a pie chart. Yeah, he's just like banging at the keypad too. He's like all tap, 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 it's tap. It's very tap, important. Tap, tap. It's an important pie yeah. chart. And the wife kind of comes in and she leans in the doorway and she's like, all right, I'm going to go to bed. And then we cut back outside and like a car speeds by Mulder's car. And so he's like, time has passed, I guess. And he was, had passed out. doesn't seem like that much time has elapsed, but anyway, so he wakes up and he was, had fallen asleep and Tomb's van is dark, but it's still there. So Mulder gets out and he shines his flashlight inside and you can see no one's in there. And he opens the back door. No one's in there. And then as he walks away from the van, like Mulder doesn't see it, but we see like a sewer grate under the van, like clothes. Yeah, like a manhole cover. Yeah, not a super Which I'm wondering, manhole cover. Yeah, so here's what. So is the has he modified the van so there's like a trap door in it so he can go through the bottom of the van? No. Like, like, and then like so no one notices him like crawling under the van and like going in the manhole, and then like why is he going through the sewer anyway when he could probably just go through the chimney or through a window or something like he did before? Like I don't understand all this. Well, I think. I don't know why he doesn't use a chimney, but I think he got under the van before Mulder woke up. And so I think he was under there already. And then Mulder was like looking for him. So like, it just seems like a lot of extra work. Yeah. I don't know why he wouldn't use the chimney. It seems easier. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So then the man's wife is in the bathroom and she's getting ready for bed and she's like brushing her teeth and like blowing her nose and stuff like that. And then she looks in the toilet and the water is like this nasty, like green black color. And so then we cut, and she's like using a then we next thing we see, she's got like a snake and like gloves and she's like goggles and she's like using the snake to clear the drain. And I'm like, well, one, did she try and flush it? And then also like, I don't know that a snake is going to solve the problem of you having like basically like green bile in your toilet. Yeah, it's weird. It's but, a weird color. Yeah. 
So she gets the snake through and it clears the drain. She's like, oh, why? but then the baby cries. So she's like, oh, I got it. All right, I'm coming, baby. It's fine. So she goes, she leaves the bathroom. And then like something inside the toilet, apparently is like pulling on the snake and the snake starts getting like pulled into the toilet. Like the, you see like the, the chain kind of like coming in. I mean, it's not really a chain, but you know what I mean? The metal bits. And then she walks back in. And unfortunately, like the snake stopped going in the toilet because that would be suspicious if you walked in and saw your toilet snake like going down the drain but she walks in and she's like oh okay i'm gonna take care of this so she goes to pull it out and then it tugs back at her which i'm thinking um that's not cool but then she like pulls it back and it comes out and she's like oh oh all right fine i'm done so she closes the lid and puts on this flimsy ass looking like baby thing that i'm thinking like that there's like a baby could totally like just bump into that and it would fall off and you could baby would fall in the toilet yeah it's like a lid but, lock so the baby doesn't drown but it, yeah, it does but it look really flimsy it doesn't lock it just like flops on there and so i guess it's mainly to keep things from coming out of the toilet instead of going into the toilet but then we see someone running around outside the building and then we see these dirty ass hands like go into the window and lift the window up and it's tombs and he's covered in poo, I guess, or something. He's gross sewer stuff. And cause the toilet thing obviously didn't work out for him. <laughs> so then he opens the window, but then the window, the window has bars inside the window. I'm not sure if that's how a window bar works. Maybe. I don't know. But they're like pretty big. And so he's like gets his whole leg through. And then he's like, I think he just has I think he just has trouble getting his head through and maybe his chest, but he's all and he gets through. And then he runs into the bedroom. And then he's watching the dude from the closet that somehow has light that makes his nice eyes light up in yellow. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, he's going to go through the plumbing, really? Like, he's in the plumbing pipes? We're supposed to guess he squeezed himself into the plumbing pipes. Well, and especially because he couldn't get through the little food hole in his door, yeah. which is wider uh, and bigger. And then it takes him, like, ten seconds to get through the window. Why didn't he just go through the window in the first place? I don't know. Like, I don't understand. There's just, like, multiple levels of, like, I don't understand. Like, the toilet water. Why is the toilet water green and black and nasty just because he's in the toilet? Why does the lady not think it's weird that like someone, something pulled on the snake when she was trying to get it out. Maybe she thought it was stuck. Um, I could see that, but it I is see it getting stuck, but it definitely like pulls back at her. Yeah. And just like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. It's just, <laughs> uh, this episode is starting to get on my nerves anyway. <laughs> so Mulder approaches the house and like, he kind of shines his light around the windows and he sees like, grimy handprints on one of the windowsills and like the fingers are super elongated yeah and there's like blood or something too because there's like red stuff not just like the black gross yeah stuff in. so Mulder knocks on the front door and he identifies himself as fbi and he tells them that he suspects there's an intruder in the house so they like you know follow him as he like sweeps the house looks around and they get upstairs into the office where i guess the man was working and th this window doesn't have bars because it's upstairs and the man's like, oh, someone opened my window. And like, and then there are long fingerprints on the windowsill again. So it looks like someone left through that window. And Mulder runs outside and Toombs' van is gone. So yep. mm, scared mm, him mm. away, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't have been too sad if that dude had actually got his liver eaten. He was kind of a... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I wasn't like invested in his safety, but... Yeah, he was, he was definitely like a... Like, stockbroker or someone who like you don't like naturally like an investment banker or something he was, <laughs> yeah uh, anyway 
Then we're at the Smithsonian Institute in their forensic anthropology lab. So Scully is talking to forensic anthropologist Dr. Plith about the body they found. And they've got like the, they basically just like, once they found there was a body, they apparently just cut like a huge slab out of the cement and mm-hmm. got the whole slab there. So like the body is like partially excavated and it's sitting there in the middle of this giant cement block. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, going cased in concrete, I guess. There is a difference between concrete and cement. I don't know. Yeah. So he expects the year of death to be somewhere in the mid thirties because apparently one of the right femurs was kind of green due to copper exposure. And then when they investigated, they found a bunch of pennies and the pennies are all like 1931, 1933, 1931. So that's how they're dating it, I guess. I don't know why that would happen anyway. So Scully asked about the cause of death and he's like, well, we can't, you know, be for sure because we haven't really done enough excavation. Um, I don't really see anything yet, but there's some gnawing on the ribs. But that's probably like from rodent activity before the burial. And he says, but we can try something, but it might be a little unorthodox. And so, oh, we've got that word unorthodox. So Scully says, that's cool. We can do that. <laughs> so he's got a photo that Briggs gave him of the suspected murder victim. So apparently there was someone who was missing, maybe, but then they could never find the bodies. They couldn't be verified. And so he said, so what I did was I scanned the skull and using some fancy overlay, which basically the photo is just like half skull, half human face. They're a perfect match. And so it's definitely the skull of that person. So, yeah. Which I wasn't sure, like... Because it sounds like Briggs has no idea who the fifth victim is, but then apparently he must have had some kind of yeah, photo. I don't know. Yeah. Or some idea. And I get uh, like if more shoehorning, I think. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. for sure. Like if there had yeah. been a bunch of missing men, he's like, it's probably one of these. It would have been different. Yeah. But anyway, Dr. Plith looked super familiar and he's been in a million things. His name is Jerry Wasserman. And he's one of those people who's been in like an episode or two of like every show that's ever existed. So he's been in Psych, he's been in Supernatural, he's been in Battlestar Galactica, and he's also that's all the shows. Well, I mean, there's like if you look at his IMDb, there's just like a huge list of like he's I'm been in like just everything. Kidding. And he's also been in like a crazy amount of TV movies. Like there's just he's like oh. a television movie guy. So if there's a TV movie with a doctor or a small like he's in every TV movie that was ever made, I think. Yeah, funnily enough, his name is really familiar, yeah. but I didn't recognize his face. But then the guy who plays Dr. Monty looks totally familiar. I didn't look him up, though. But. Yeah, so I think he's just one of those people who's in just so many things that you've definitely seen him in a couple different shows somewhere along the line. Yeah, his name is really familiar. Maybe it's familiar because it sounds like someone else's name, maybe. Maybe, yeah. or maybe you just see his name because Jerry Wasserman, I mean, he's just in everything so okay <laughs> anyway he's been around but he looks super familiar to me so i was like i wonder who he's played and that's i went down that rabbit hole cool um, he's definitely into doing unorthodox stuff so he might be another oh yeah and, I love how, and scully does say with the unorthodox stuff well we'll keep it off the record because clearly yeah. she's trying to like follow skinner's yeah. thing but she can't yeah she can't keyword unorthodox ding 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 yeah it's like differentiating ding 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 okay we're gonna do all this stuff yes so Scully and Mulder are staking out the house the Tombs is staying at, the Greens. And I guess Scully has arrived and Mulder has been staking it out. And Mulder says Tombs hasn't gone anywhere. I think he took a walk around the block once and like that was it. And Scully tells him the protocol dictates the stakeouts use two pairs of agents. That way agents can get some relief. And 
he kind of thinks she's trying to be by the book, but then she's like, Mulder, you haven't slept in like three days. You can't just keep sitting out here forever. And she's here there to take over for him, but still like it's not working with just the two of them. And yeah, Mulder, she's like, you're going to, you're going to get sloppy. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to get hurt. Right. And Mulder argues like, if they ask for official permission for a stakeout, it's going to get denied. And then if they do it after it's denied, then they're definitely going to get in trouble. And they want to shut down the X-Files. They'll use any excuse. And so even them hosting their own stakeout when they've been told they're not allowed to, that's going to be cause for them to be like, nope, this department's gone. And Mulder's like, you know, I'm not worried about myself or my reputation, but you're risking an official reprimand on your record for even being in the car right now. And Scully calls him Fox which I don't know if she's done that before. No, and he kind of... Kind of awkward. Yeah, he kind of laughs and he's like, look, I even make my parents call me Mulder. <laughs> and then she like, but she gets, you know, she's still serious. She tells him like, I wouldn't put myself on the line for anybody but you. And like, she's super serious. She means it. And Mulder's like, look, if there's an iced tea in that bag of stuff you brought me, this could be love. <laughs> and so she's like, must be fate, Mulder. And she pulls it out and she's like, it's a root beer. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. It was kind of cute. And then Scully's like, look, go home, get some rest. I'll, you know, obviously sit out here tonight and then we'll figure this out. So Mulder, like she had brought him his liverwurst sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's he, like, cause she's like liverwurst. And he's like, ah. Yeah. Obviously meant another, to be another pun. A, a yeah. joke. And so he takes like one bite out of it and he gives it back to her. And he's like, you're going to need this because it's going to be a long night. So she takes the root beer and the sandwich and she goes and gets in her car. And then as Mulder starts to pull away, we see the trunk of his car close. So it was like open an inch and then it like closes down. Scully doesn't see that. And she gets into her own car and gets ready for the stakeout. And then she like holds up the sandwich. And this is, I got really confused by this, but like she holds up the sandwich Mulder gave her and it has a bite and taken out of it because we saw him take a bite. And she just stares at it and this like ominous music plays. So I watched the scene like three times because I couldn't figure out why it was ominous. Like she saw him take the bite out. So like, it's not weird that there's a bite in the sandwich. And then I was like, did she have a second sandwich? Because like, if you're going to be sitting at a stakeout, I could see her bringing like a sandwich for Mulder and then bringing her own for, you know, herself for later. And so I thought maybe she had like a second sandwich in the car and maybe Toombs had like gotten into her car and taken a bite of the sandwich and that's why she was freaked out. But then like later we learned that, you know, it is just the same sandwich and like she just, it gave her an idea. But the way they do it is just super weird to me because it's just so ominous and like. No, and it's badly, yeah. it's it's like, it's badly framed. It's, it's really badly directed the way they did it because they made it seem like, yeah, because like he says like, here, you know, take the sandwich. It's only got one bite out of it and hands it to her and she goes to her car. But then like she sits in her car and we get like just like full face shot and she's like just out of nowhere, the sandwich in a bag comes up that's got a bite out of it and she just looks at it like it's like, you know, she found like the Holy Grail or something and it's all, ooh, and it's got the music and you're like, what's going on? So I get it. It's just like they really overplayed it. Yeah. It was, and so that's why I thought maybe there had to be like a second. <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah. I'm like, what's the big deal? I was like, yeah, because okay. it, yeah, it looks like she's like mystified by the sandwich. Like, oh my, like she's freaked out by the sandwich. Right. When when really she just, she's she's suddenly like, I have an idea. Like a little light bulb went off in her head. Right. So she had an but, extra one on her car seat and someone had taken a bite out of it. That would be scary. That's what I was thinking. Yes. And that's what the scene looks like. But it's yeah, not. Yeah, so I totally... Yeah. Anyway, I do think this moment between them, like, it's a little awkward. He's obviously a little uncomfortable, and she's being super serious, like, I'm on your team, Mulder. But I think this does kind of solidify Scully's on Team X-File. Like, she might have been brought in to debunk the X-Files, 
but she is no longer playing that role. And she might push against Mulder if he's doing stuff that could endanger him or that could endanger the X-Files or his career, like in Fallen Angel. But she's not going to push back against him in the way that the show probably wanted. And that's why Skinner is now there to be that guy. Yeah. I think it solidifies that she loves him. I mean, it could she be the start of something. She's all, she's all, Fox. And he's like, man, I'm making my parents call me Fox. And she's like, Mulder. Yeah, she loves him. She yeah. might have a little, a little crush going. She might. Yeah. I mean, at this point, she definitely, I mean, they definitely get along and she definitely respects him and likes him more than I'm sure well, anybody. See, now she's thinking about like, well, if they end the X-Files, I won't be working with Fox anymore. I don't, I won't get to spend my days with him. What will happen? <laughs> I got to make my move. So, yeah. I mean, no. she's a great agent. She'll be fine. But yeah, no, 100%. I think this is definitely no, the start it's, of. It's because she loves him. It's a seed. It's planted. Time without him. You know? That's right. Anyway, it was sweet. Yeah, so Mulder went home, and he's falling asleep uh, with the television on, and he's watching The Fly, <laughs> which I'm thinking, like, how much money did they pay to use the rights to The Fly? But anyway, and we're talking, like, the old Fly like, with Vincent Price, not, like, the Jeff Goldblum version. Yeah. So, yeah. And as he's sleeping, we see the screws on his air vent starting doing themselves. And, again, like, this, you can't do that. It doesn't work. Especially because, like, it's like, like he's having trouble at first, and then as he gets to the end, they're like all boom, and they pop out. And you're like, okay, one, it would be hard to do it at the end because there's nothing to hold on to because it's coming out of the hole. So it's, yeah, it then doesn't work that way. Sorry, guys. But <laughs> so then we, boom, he like pops up and we're like, oh, like super dramatic. Everything in this episode, they're really going for like the whatever. And then he's watching Mulder sleeping and then he puts a finger up. And he like basically stabs himself in the cheek so that he bleeds, and then he smiles. You yeah, know, like, it's weird. What are you doing? But then we find out later he's like sitting on an exam table, like in uh, like in an ER, and doctors looking at him. And there's like a cop there, and I'm like, whoa, he's been beat up pretty badly. He's got like contusions, and like his his arm has been totally dis- his shoulder has been totally dislocated, and there's like this huge shoe print on the side of his face <laughs> that's apparently from a kick. And I know when I kick someone, I just put the bottom of my shoe on their face. But yeah. So, and the doctor's like, who did this to him? And so they're like, well, let me photograph that that shoe print because it might make a match. And so she's like, who did this to you? Who did this to you? And he's like, just is like his lips are moving and nothing. So she like leans in super close. And I'm like, he's going to eat you. But he doesn't. And he whispers something. And she's like, um, can we talk detective? So they go to the side. She's like, he says he was attacked by an FBI agent named Mulder. And the doctor's like, so do you think he's delusional or just like schizophrenic? And she's like, well, there's nothing so far to indicate that, but we're going to run some more tests and da, da, da. And then Toombs obviously smiles because he's like, ha ha, I'm going to get you. Right. So, yeah. But then also he pops his shoulder back into place and I'm like, oh yeah, they're not going to notice that dumbass. Like they just notice that your shoulder's out of the socket and they're going to do some more tests on you. They're not going to notice that your shoulder's now suddenly back in place. Like this episode is <sighs> killing me anyway. Yeah. That whole, it's not a good plan. And let's, I mean, I don't think. No, a- why didn't he just kill Mulder? Yeah. He doesn't even have to eat Mulder's liver. He could like smother Mulder. And then, like, oh, FBI agent's dead. Weird. Because, like, you know, like, oh, if I kill him, they're going to know it was me, whatever. You know, it's probably why he hasn't killed the Greens. They Mulder even mentions that, like, it was not going to kill the Greens, I guarantee it. Right. Because then people will be know too it's him. So, like, yeah, screwed. so he's not going to kill Mulder and eat Mulder's liver, but he could have killed Mulder, like, right there. Yeah. Like, done. But no, he decides he's going to frame him and, like, this, yeah, I don't know. Or discredit put, him. And, so if and he put keeps his, arguing, put his, he... yeah, put his shoe on his face. So it was like, 
someone put a shoe on your face. Yeah. So. so Mulder's still asleep and there's a knock at his door and he answers and it's the detective from the hospital. And the detective shows a badge and he's accompanied by a uniformed officer. And they go inside his apartment and Mulder lets them in, but the cop just kind of like... I guess once you let him in, he's just like, all right. And he starts looking around and Mulder's like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, he's suddenly convinced that this is real because before he was like, oh, the guy must be crazy. But now he's like, yeah, you're guilty. I guess they've met. I don't know. But they, they find the shoe that matches the print and he like holds him up and the detective tells him they don't arrest him. So it clearly isn't that conclusive, but he does tell him like, you're in trouble. And then Mulder trips over one of the screws from the air vent that's been left on the floor from when two like But yeah, because he asked the he asked the detective, like, what's going on? The detective is just like, mm, I'm solemn. And you're like, what? Okay. Yeah. So then they're in Skinner's office and Mulder and Scully are there. And Skinner tells Mulder that these are serious allegations. And Mulder tells him that there was a test done. I'm not sure exactly how this works, but apparently Well, because well, because if he if he got kicked in the face, right. there would be there would be pressure points. Right. The and kick. so there's just basically the shoe print is on Toombs' face, but it, there was no foot inside the shoe. Like it wasn't right. enough pressure. There's no impact that points. He'd yeah. been kicked. So yep. then Scully like says, Well, I was part of this unauthorized stakeout we were doing. And Mulder was with me when this attack supposedly happened, which is a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, it but is. She lies for him. And well, she's then, lied on police reports before. Yeah, she too. she's all she's all in. Yeah, she's in. Well, and she one of the police reports she lied on was like admitting she believed in Boggs being a psychic. So some of it's not for That's Mulder. True. Some of it's yeah. just for her. But that's like, what I mean. She's all in. She's just like I'm. I'm all in now. I just lie on police reports and I just do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So Skinner asks if she's lying, and she denies it. And then he asks her to leave. And the cigarette smoking man's also in the room. And so he just kind of lights another cigarette. And Skinner tells Mulder that a lot of people think his talents are wasted in the X-Files. And they understand that he's passionate about them. But if the stress is causing him to act out and inspiring those around him to act out, maybe he should step away for a while. And Mulder's just like, well, thanks for your concern. And Skinner's like, look, you're forbidden from going near Eugene Toombs. Like at this point you're obviously not being arrested or charged with anything, but clearly there's been like some kind of order. You can't be near him. And so Mulder gets up and leaves. And as he's leaving, Skinner's like, Mulder, this was close. Any closer, no one's going to be able to help you. Yeah. And when he's talking about like, he's like, Fox, everyone thinks you're totally passionate. We had like, you you have such potential when you first joined the Bureau. Like he called him Fox too. So we get two Foxes in this episode. Yep. Yep. And can he be forbidden from being around Eugene Tombs if there's not a court order? Can you just say, like, hey, you're not allowed to go near this person? I think Skinner can forbid him from doing anything. Okay. (laughs) Officially, he can be like, you can't go near this guy anymore because you're going to get the Bureau in trouble. I don't know how that works. So Mostly just, I think it's mostly, like, you can't go near him because, like, there's this charge. And if you get near him again, it's going to look weird. And we don't want it to look weird. Oh, okay. That was my read on it anyway. Because it doesn't say there's, like, a restraining order. Okay. So Scully's back in the forensic anthropology lab and Mulder's with her this time and Dr. Plith. And they said the sandwich the other night gave her an idea. So when she was all looking at the sandwich, she got an idea to use dental records to match the bite marks on the bones because those weren't rat bite marks. They were probably human bite marks. (gasps) Anyway, so Mulder's like, well, he's never going to like agree to do like give a dental record and she's like that's okay we can use the dental radiograph to make an exact three-dimensional model of his teeth and match it to the bones 
And so I'm guessing this came from all the medical stuff they did. They've got x-rays of his teeth, and then somehow they were able to use all those x-rays to make 3D models. Yeah. At first, I was, at first I was like, well, then how'd they get this stuff to make the models? But I'm like, oh, he did go all through all that medical stuff, so maybe they, just, they were able to access that stuff, and then they can make 3D models of his teeth. And, of course, they've got cool 3D models of the bones, and then we get some cool 3D animation. It's like, oh chomp and then the bite marks and the teeth marks match the same and they're like it's a match so yeah i was super confused by how this worked because i was trying to figure out what was going on because i didn't understand like where they were getting the teeth for the match or like what was happening and so i'm glad you kind of explained that because i was like i couldn't figure it out i'm like what is happening here yeah i actually wrote because i mean i i still think it's just tv magic right it's mm-hmm. tv magic but i, I also so. wrote like tv magic because like where did they get these right. radiographs to but then i was like oh wait they did all those tests on him so maybe we're supposed to just assume i mean whereas in most times they make sure to explain every single thing in the episode so the audience might not miss something here we're supposed to kind of make that jump of like oh yeah they're using all the stuff from medical exams to make these 3d image teeth but I, yeah, I also think it's probably just TV magic. Yeah, I think Again, so. I might be being generous and saying like, oh yeah, that's where they got that stuff because they did all those tests on him. So they have dental x-rays and they can make, I mean, when you do x-rays, you do get like different positions of the teeth. I don't know that you can make like exact 3D models where they did. They had to make, they were very detailed models of these teeth. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It was very, it was very, let's wave a wand and woo, there have been match. There have been some technological upgrades Which, in the FBI. Well, I guess this is Smithsonian, not the FBI. Well, Maybe they have, they have more money. We don't so. even really need it because we know those are his, anyway, we know he's the one who not on the rips. We know that. Yeah, anyway, so Eugene is in his room at the Greens and he's like tearing a newspaper into strips. He's not licking them or anything yet. He's just kind of getting the strips ready, I guess. No, he's doing it. He's getting his mesomplos. Yeah. 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 And so Mr. Green knocks and he has Dr. Monty with him. And Mr. Green says he and his wife are going out for the night. But Dr. Monty is there to talk to Eugene. And so then Dr. Monty walks in. Mr. Green leaves. And Dr. Monty's like, oh. Like, he doesn't even hear Monty talk for a minute because, like, it just, like, goes... Because, like, hearing cuts out, and he's just, like, staring at him. So yeah, clearly... he's got the other eyes. Boom. Yeah. Yep. And then Dr. Mark is like, oh, why are you making newspaper strips? Are you doing paper mache? And Tombs, like, he, I can't tell if he said, like, yes or I don't he know. He says yes. Yeah, he yes. says yes. Okay. Yeah. And he's then. All, yes. And then Dr. Monty's all like, oh, you like art? And he's like, yes, I like art. Yeah, it's really. So then Tombs, like, walks up to the bedroom door and just closes it. And Dr. Monty's like, what are you doing? And then we hear Dr. Monty scream. So R.I.P. Dr. Monty, you should have sucked less at your job. And maybe like, I'm sure Toombs like said all the right things. He has this way somehow of convincing people. But everything he says, he says creepy as humanly possible. Like, yes, yes, I like art. But he did the same thing in Squeeze where he like talked to the other cops. Like we don't see it. But, like, he clearly convinces everyone that he's totally innocent, not just Maybe of he's family. got pheromones. Oh, God, I hope not. I've had enough of pheromones for a lifetime <laughs> on this show. But, yeah, so anyway, he's good at convincing people. We know that. It's just, I don't know. Like, I hated Dr. Monty from the beginning because he's like, well, I'm so excited to get you out of yeah, here. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the actor who plays Dr. Monty, because I said he sound really, he looks really familiar, I'm pretty sure he always plays, like, slimy people. That Probably. You, you either get killed or you want to get killed. Yeah. So, yeah. 
But also I'm glad it wasn't one of the greens because they do good work. And, you know, after this murder happens in their home, I don't know if they're going to keep doing that. I probably wouldn't. Yeah, because they're basically they're like a like a halfway house for people who are coming out of mental institutions. Or, or sanitariums. sanitariums yeah whatever the distinction is between that i mean apparently i mean this place was like full on like arkham asylum with like all the screaming and moaning and stuff in the beginning it was like oh my god yeah it was like one step down for where they keep the eaves yeah definitely or one step up i guess because eaves are in yeah. the basement right yes yeah, so, so yeah. they're one step up yeah so then we cut to Mulder and Scully, and they are, well, I guess we don't really cut to them because they're at the Green's house, and they're coming in, and they're knocking, and no one answers. And so they go inside, and they find Dr. Monty's body, and he's just laying there. He's dead, and there's blood on his arm. And they're like, that's number five. And Mulder's like, finds a newspaper strip that also has blood on it, and he says he's building a new nest. And they're like, well, where's he going to go? And he's like, well, he's going to go back to where he always goes. He's going to go back to his apartment at 66 Exeter Street in Baltimore. And Scully's like, well, no, he can't go there. I checked on that. They tore that down. And Mulder's like, well, what's there now? <laughs> what it, is there now? Then it cuts to 66 Exeter Street, Baltimore, and it's a big shopping mall. Yeah. Like, how long has he been? How long in between these episodes? Like, when was Squeeze? Like, they tore down, they had to tear down a whole neighborhood to build a mall. Yeah. And it's, and it's not like it's the grand opening of the mall. It's it's a mall that's been there for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And everything about this episode is like too soon. Because like, why is he getting released so soon? Why is this a mall now so soon? Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's okay. The tomb stuff in this episode is mm, everything else. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you just you're just happy that Skinner and the cigarette smoking's man. That's we could yeah. we could edit we could edit down a special Tory version where it's just all the scenes with Skinner and the cigarette smoking man. You'd also, be like, Mulder and Scully in the is car. The best. The this is the best 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 episode. And Mulder ever. and Scully having that moment in the car where she brings him stuff. Where she lures like, oh. him. Ah, not anyway. not not where she's staring the sandwich, but no, that that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's a mall, and a security guard lets them in. He doesn't bother to follow them in for backup because he's useless, I guess. So. Yeah. Scully says there's a storage facility on the second floor, so clearly they've, like, scoped out where in the mall he might be building this nest. Like by not going to go up, though, on the second floor. Yeah, I don't, that's what she thinks. He's um, going to go so down. They start to head up, but then as they're getting on the escalator, Mulder notices a trap door on the floor. And so he's like, mm, mm, yeah, that's where Squeeze goes. So he takes mm-hmm. off his tie and jacket and they open. The his name thing. is now Squeeze. <laughs> that's where Squeeze goes. <laughs> I mean, tomb, squeeze, what's the difference, really? Yeah, he's he squeeze. Yeah, that's where squeeze goes. <laughs> that's where squeeze goes. He goes down. <laughs> so anyway, Mulder takes off his tie and jacket, and then, like, Scully says something, I can't remember what it is, but then he's like, you can get the next mutant. Which yeah, well, he's like, she's like, there's only room for one in there. Oh, yeah, and he's like, you can get the next mutant, which, I don't know, I thought it was funny. Um, Maybe she so, does. I don't know. I, I don't and we'll have to count. We'll <laughs> see if she gets to chase the next mutant. Yeah, if Mulder holds up on his bargain, yeah. So he climbs down, it's like a narrow shaft, and it's like the shaft under the escalator, uh, I guess where you would go to repair the escalator. Yeah, because there's one in front of each one, so fortunately he chose the correct one, because I don't see where they connect. Yeah, I don't know if they connect, but they do open into this area. So he like crawls through, and Scully's above, and she's kind of shining her flashlight down, and it opens into like this bigger space, and so he he like pulls out of the little narrow thing, and he finds a big nest against one of the walls and like something's dripping inside and like it's he kind of i don't know why he doesn't just see the nest and go get back up but like instead he walks up to it 
where yeah. something well also once he gets past that shaft and he like sees the thing and he punches through the grate and goes through the shaft itself is nasty oh yeah it's, it's like gross. how much does squeeze like put out or do they just be like oh hey look there's a cool shaft already in this floor of this building let's just leave it and connect the shaft to it because like how long has he been in that shaft it is gross anyway yeah it is so as Mulder gets close to the nest a yellow hand like pops out and grabs him and then tombs like kind of attacks him so he's like holding him and he kind of comes out of the nest and he's covered in this like yellow grime that's like sticking to his chest and like it's Mm -hmm. everywhere and Mulder gets away and like crawls back through the vent but then of course like tombs jumps into the vent and he's close behind so he like gets through to where scully's waiting above and like scully reaches down so he can grab her hand and then tombs grabs Mulder's foot and like pulls him back but then scully manages to get a hold of Mulder's hand and like helps him up and so like he gets out of the vent and then somehow something gets tripped and the escalator starts and because tombs is like right under that part where like the gears go or whatever like it like sucks him back and then like we see blood on the escalator steps. Yeah. Well, Mulder turns it on. Oh, he turns it on intentionally. Yeah. I soon, couldn't soon tell he, if it was like no, intentional. As soon, no, soon, as, soon as he gets out, he's like, <gasps> and he like jumps over to the thing and like hits the button. And like, oh, that's okay. That's what it was. Yeah. No. And he I, got some good wax in because like when Tombs first grabbed him, he like, boom, boom, like the batons him with his big old flashlight and gets him in the face. And then like when Scully's trying to grab him and he gets pulled back and then he like just like kicks tombs right in the head and then he really kicks him in the head this time that's how it feels tombs don't be yeah and then scully's able to pull him out and then yeah he just he jumps over and hits that power button and i mean that's still that's not how escalators no no and it's funny because my mom has a fear of like her shoelaces getting caught in escalators so every time i'm in an escalator i always like think of that and like check my shoelaces (laughs) Yeah. Also, that's the up escalator. Yes. So if it works the way you think it would work, he wouldn't have got pulled in. He would have got pushed out, assuming that like escalator parts are actually in that shaft that would grab him or hit him in any possible way. So yeah, Yeah, I don't know. And apparently, to make tombs all grimy and gross, like with the fake bile, they used caro syrup that was dyed with food coloring. So that's why it's all sticky and gross. Which I don't know if you've ever cooked with caro syrup, but that stuff is like sugar glue like that stuff is so sticky like you would need like 10 showers to like get it out of your hair and face well i haven't coked with caro syrup but i have cooked with caro they say i said cooked (laughs) i said cooked oh okay apparently they like budget problems for all that money they spent paying for the fly because if you can see his butt when he's coming down the um, shaft yeah. and it's not covered in guile at all. It's a naked butt. So <laughs> you know, they only, they only carried his top half. So yeah. Well, maybe they didn't expect <laughs> to show it and then it just showed more than they intended. Yeah. Also yeah. like, I don't know if they'd have to pay for the fly because I know for mystery science theater, um, when mystery science theater moved to sci-fi channel, one of the things was they could use movies that sci-fi channel had the rights to um, without having to pay for them. And so I wonder if like, the network just had the rights to the old fly, and so it didn't. Cost oh, maybe, money. maybe if the maybe if 20th Century Fox owns a fly, possibly they wouldn't need and to all, pay for well, it. Well, and also too, because Mystery Science Theater, even though they are like they're making money from it, they're also doing satire. Yeah, so that's that's a special exemption as well that lets you use things without having to. But they have to pay you know. for the rights if like 
it's not owned by the network because they couldn't do certain things and like they couldn't show the Comedy Central reruns because they didn't mm. own the rights to the movies. Well, because I mean, like technically, Weird Al Yankovic doesn't need permission to do right. the songs he does because he's doing a parody. Yeah. And but he always does. Like he makes sure. Yeah, well, that's big, Weird Al's was that, a good person. Were, which is well, a, there was that big thing about Amish Paradise where apparently there was like miscommunication with yes. Julio and Julio got pissed off and they made up and whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. Another throwback to Gender Bender. Yeah, Ooh, Weird Al one rocks. Episode. Yeah. I love Weird Al. Anyway. So then we cut to Skinner's office and he's looking at the X-File on Tombs and it says case closed on the front when he closes it. And the cigarette smoking man is in there and he's looking out the window, surprisingly smoking a cigarette. Weird. And he's like, have you read this report? And he's like, I think he nods or something. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, do you believe it? And he's like, of course I do. And yeah. I mean, I'm being childish. I wanted the cigarette smoking man to sound like Ned from South Park and be like, of course I do. But I don't know. That's no, I knew what he sounded like. So I was just excited to hear him talk. This is the first time he speaks. I didn't think he spoke this soon. Like I, I knew he came back, but I didn't know how soon he started like actually having dialogue. So I was really surprised when he spoke. I was like, oh my God, he talked. Um, I couldn't remember him ever speaking, but then again, I kind of dropped off the series yeah. like in season two. So I don't know when he next appears in season two because the only this is his last appearance in. Is it his last appearance in season? I know it's Skinner's last appearance in season one. Yeah, which surprised me because I do know what happens at the end of the season. So I'm surprised that Skinner is not part of that, but I guess he's not. I don't know when the cigarette smoking man comes back. Okay. I know he does, and I know he does have lots of dialogue as the seasons go on. Yeah, because I remember them talking about like this was his first. I'm pretty sure this is his first appearance since the pilot. Yeah. This is obviously Skinner's first appearance. This is Cigarette Smoking Man's first time talking Mm -hmm. because they make jokes about how they weren't sure he could even talk, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But then I also read that Skinner doesn't appear again in season one. He's only got a one-off in this season. Right. So I was like, I may have been conflating that with the Cigarette Smoking Man. Yeah, I don't know if the Cigarette Smoking Man comes back. I think he must. If Skinner's... only got three more episodes. I know, but given what happens at the end of season one, if Skinner's not there, I feel like... Which I haven't rewatched yet, but I just know what happens, and so at least one thing, and I, so I figure like if Skinner is not there, the cigarette smoking man has to be because like somebody yeah. has to be there, especially if especially if Blevins is no longer in the show, right? Which I don't think he is. But anyway, I was so excited, William B. Davis. I think this is the week I'm going to bust out my signed William B. Davis autograph photo, which <laughs> I have. So we'll put that on Instagram. He's a really sweet guy. I would, I mean, I only met him once at a convention, but he was really nice and he's funny. And I'm just excited to see him. I thought he signed your book. You have a photo of him too? No, or I have did, a signed oh, photo of him. He didn't sign my book. Okay. Oh, someone else signed your mm-hmm. book. Then we'll talk about that later. Yeah, no, he, okay. I got a signed photo of him and he put our names on it. And like, we, they weren't supposed to put names because they were trying to get the line, mo- keep the line moving. But then like me and my brother and Jesse and our other friend who was there, like we were all kids and like, we were like, you know, 12, 13, 14. And he's like, oh, what's your name? And like the guy who was trying to run the line is like, no names. And like he didn't, he just like ignored him. And he's like, he put our names on the photos. He was really sweet. He was a really nice guy. Cool. So anyway, I love William B. Davis. So talking about your signed book, that's actually the third reference to Gender Bender. Yeah, there is. There is a connection there. Although technically it's not the same character. That's true. All right. So hopefully if you've listened, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Now. Anyway, we're gonna, but we're still not going to talk about it. So <laughs> went there. to one yeah. X-Files convention in 1996 <laughs> and I'm going to milk that sucker. Like for that's all right. it's worth. So that is right. We need to save something. <laughs> we got, we got 10 more seasons to go. I also have the X-Files board game. I don't know. I have a lot of weird X-Files stuff. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> I got a bunch of comics. So Mulder is staring at a caterpillar in a tree. 
very thematic. And he's saying it's amazing how things change. And Scully's like, what, like a caterpillar? And Mulder's like, no, but, you know, I can just, like, big things, like a big change is coming for us. And Scully's like, they're in love. How do you know that? He's like, <laughs> I just have a hunch. So. Because he's like, I actually prefer root beer, Scully. <laughs> that was a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, so that was that was tombs. That's the end. It's the last shot yeah. we get. They this this scene confused me a little bit because they narrowed the focus so much when they shot this one for like Mulder and Scully to be in the foreground and the background was all like blurry that it totally looked like green screen when Scully first walks up to Mulder. Okay, I was yeah. like, whoa, that's bad green screen. But then like later, like they're talking, and then they walk into the background and I'm like oh that's not green screen crap so i had to go back and watch it a couple times i'm like no they just like super narrowed that focus so much that it just looked like it was totally separate like yeah yeah it was a weird choice because he well because even when she because she walks around from behind and then comes and kind of and then kind of is a little bit in front of him the way she comes over to his side and it, it just looked like when she came around i was like oh and i think what happened i, I think parts of her body blurred because they had the focus so narrow because there's something going on but like it totally looks like green screen and i don't yeah. know what's going on it so. might be like the fabric of her clothes too because sometimes certain fabric on camera looks really funny like if there's a, a tight pattern or a weird knit like it can look really weird on camera yeah but it was just, but it was just all the background like they just they just it looked like they had edging around them in that, yeah. in that very first part but it wasn't because then they cut back later and they're talking in front of that same background and i'm like well that okay that looks a little bit better and then they turn around and walk off down the sidewalk and i'm like it's okay a, that's a not sidewalk. a green screen yeah. that's a real set so i'm like they must have just narrowed that focus so that they were the only thing in focus maybe they they may have been using the uh the digital tools a little bit too much in this episode with like the saturation filter and then maybe that was actually like a filter they used too, maybe like an after effect kind oh, of thing maybe. to make it blurry maybe it wasn't really they a focus thing they just, in post-production and, and, th and that might be why it looks like green screen because if it wasn't actually in camera short focus but they did it afterwards that would explain why maybe it looks like it had edging so that might be it yeah, yeah. that's the answer i've decided because that makes sense yeah it does sometimes i just need to say things out loud to think about them hey i so. work a lot of stuff out by talking to myself yeah i'm sure my neighbors think i'm i don't know if they can hear me my cats think i'm crazy so i just <laughs> like work stuff out i'm like no wait that's how it works so your favorite man morgan <laughs> <laughs> so he uh he said that this episode was partially inspired when he saw some men working on an escalator at a mall and he was like wouldn't it be creepy if someone like lived down there and then he thought of tombs and like tombs could squeeze down there and then they kind of worked backwards i'm sure they also had an idea of tombs coming back i'm sure it wasn't just that but that was kind of like yeah because that was like one of the most popular episodes they had yes and they probably were like at the end of the season and let's be honest a lot of the episodes in this season aren't spectacular true and they probably were having to like we need an idea oh let's do this they also were dissatisfied with the direction because that's the one where the the guy like left and didn't film some of the scenes and so they're like oh we can maybe get some of that stuff in here they also have an actor who was really into his character and between squeeze and tombs the guy who plays which is uh hutchinson is his last name i can't remember what his first name is yeah but he sent a script to Chris Carter that was like the origin of tombs that he wanted to be in the show again. And they were like, yeah, no, and sent it back to him. So 
yeah but i think it's just like oh we need one we need a story this was really popular let's do a sequel yeah and then i will agree that they had an idea and worked backwards from it because that's why everything feels so shoehorned yeah i can see that yeah also so rw goodwin who is like one of is like the executive producer along with chris carter in the series who strangely i was reading his history about this series i was gonna get into this later but he watched the because most of the like it, the pilot is just chris carter right because they filmed that and then everyone else comes on after episode two right that's when like gans and gordon become executive producers that's when morgan and wong become executive producers that's also when goodwin becomes an executive producer and he became an executive producer because apparently he, what I read, he saw the pilot on TV. Like he actually watched it when it aired, like on September 10th and then called Chris Carter and said like, I want to be involved in this. And then by the time the second episode aired a week later, he was already like executive producer. Wow. He must've been in the industry and stuff. Like he must something. I think, somebody. I think he worked with Chris Carter before because like Chris Carter worked in the industry for a while. It's not like Chris, this was Chris Carter's first thing. Right. Like he'd been working on TV in the eighties and stuff. So maybe they knew each other, but anyway, so he has this to say about the episode. This is a direct quote. When asked about this episode, he says nothing brilliant to say about this episode. That's truth. <laughs> nothing brilliant to say about the episode. So, yeah. yeah. Also, just a fun true crime fact, forensic odontology, which is where you use like teeth marks and bite marks to like identify criminals, has been largely debunked because it's it's pretty much almost a pseudoscience at this point where they've proven that you can't really do that unless there's something really abnormal or weird. But they did. That is how they nailed Ted Bundy. Like after his final murder spree at the um, sorority house in Florida, they were trying to figure out how to definitively link him to these murders, especially because it wasn't like he hadn't actually been. Con- uh, had he been convicted of the murders in Colorado? I know he escaped. And I can't remember if he'd actually I don't think he'd been convicted yet. But anyway, they had to like connect him. And one of the ways they did that is he had bitten one of the victims and they actually brought him into a dentist and did like a thing of his teeth, like a mold, and they were able to match his teeth. And so that was one of the linchpins they used to like definitively convict him and get him on the murder so anyway just a fact well i mean they didn't exactly use it as evidence in this episode no they just an orthodox and off the record yeah i think they could have done more better things for that because they were trying to show that scully's willing to break the rules but i feel like the things they used for that were not that great and also it didn't really help because they already knew it was tombs so it didn't help her investigation and it didn't help convict him so yeah also a nice tangential relationship back to silence of the lambs because in manhunter which is the first film adaptation of the red dragon book which then goes on to do the silence of the lambs right from 1986 the tooth fairy killer who's played by tom noonan that's one of the things they do because he bites the victims and so they actually make a big mouth bowl he has like like big huge dentures that he puts on one of the reasons why they can't find him and also has, I'm going to say, I'm going to die on this hill. But Brian Cox, who is Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter, is a better Hannibal Lecter than Anthony Hopkins. So Ooh, there. That, so is, there. that is a big proclamation. Yeah. How does he stack up against Mads Mikkelsen? I don't know because I haven't watched that TV show guy. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen the TV show, so I don't yeah. know. I've only seen the first like two and a half seasons. I kind of cut out somewhere around season three. Yeah, no. Kind of but weird. Brian Cox, I think he played a much better Hannibal Lecter. All opinion. right. 
you know, I think, no pun intended, I think Anthony Hopkins kind of chewed on the scenery <laughs> a little bit in that. So, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in so long. I really need to watch it again. Halloween would have been great for that. I should have done that. Yeah. So, I also have a funny mall story. So, when you look at, and in the books, like the books it reference, and if you look online, it talks about how the, uh, the mall they use is actually the City Square Mall in Vancouver, British Columbia. But it's not called, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's not called City Square Mall anymore. It's called City Square Shopping Center. Yes. But when they used it, so this is a two-level funny story. So when they used that mall, they had to get the permission of every single store in the mall to shoot there. Oh, wow. I don't know why, but I guess that was like something that's written to the contractor or something with the mall. Even though they were only filming like in the escalator, they had a permission of every single store in the mall. Oh my gosh. And then, and then they had to make sure they used like whatever blood they put on the escalator that they had to make sure that it wasn't something that would end up in the escalator and cause like mechanical problems. So like it had to make sure that it was going to like, you know, like, like alcohol based or something. So it would like evaporate so that it wouldn't, possibly gunk up the mechanisms of wow. the escalator yeah so they that had, had to be very say to be yeah because you don't want to be messing up people's equipment but yeah. also what's what's funny is if you go to wikipedia for this episode it talks about like oh and it was filmed in venice they're, they're taking the information from the book x marks the spot but they're talking about how oh yeah it was filmed in city square mall in vancouver british columbia <laughs> when you click on the because city square mall is a link on the wikipedia page but if you click on that it takes you to a mall in singapore oh. which is called city square mall <laughs> because city square mall is not called city square mall anymore it's called city square shopping center but like i don't know if like if the link auto direct like I, they someone had to like hot link that but like it links like when you even when you hover over it, it's all like City Square Mall is like something, something in Singapore. And you're like, what? And you click on it and it's like, it takes you to the mall in Singapore. And then it's all like in, um, I don't know what language they speak in Singapore, but it's like in, you know, that I can't read it because it's not in English. Right. So, yeah. But I thought that was funny. That, that like, is funny. <laughs> it used to be called City Square Mall. But then on the Wikipedia page, when you, if you go, you're like, oh, I want to see what that mall looks like now. And you click on it, it'll actually take you to the Singapore Mall. Huh. You have to look for the, there is a disambiguation at the top. It's like, if you want to find the City Square Shopping Center in Vancouver, British Columbia, <laughs> click here. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when I was in Vancouver. I've only been once. I don't think I went there. We, I went to like a... Sh- it wasn't a shopping. It was a shopping center, but I think it was further out. It wasn't like, yeah. I think it was well, I'm going to imagine that Vancouver has more than one mall. Oh, 100 percent. Even yeah, in 1994, because no. I think this no, one. No, Vancouver is huge. Yeah, because yeah. I think this mall. I'm trying to remember now. I think it was built like in '82 or '86. I think. I think I want to say '82, but yeah. So it had been it had been around for a few, like at least close to a decade, if not more than a decade, when they filmed this. But I imagine Vancouver has more than one mall. So. Yeah, oh, I'm sure they do. I just was trying to figure out. I'm always trying to figure out, like, was I there? But it didn't look familiar, and I don't yeah. think I was. And if they had to get permission from every shop in the mall, I'm guessing maybe it's not the biggest mall in Vancouver, if that's something that has to be done at whatever mall you go to, if that wasn't just, like, their mall kind of rule. But I don't know how that works, because I don't film TV series in Vancouver. So Yeah, I don't know either. That must have been a lot of work, though. Yeah. Location scouts were busy this week. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure they were busy weeks before because, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they had to arrange it several weeks in advance. Yeah. All well, right. it's that time of episode again. <laughs> time to rate the episode. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rhyme again with again. That's all I can do. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's all right. Sorry. Better than I can do. I'm not good at that stuff.
Yeah, so I don't know. It's hard for me because I agree, like, the tomb stuff, a lot of it isn't well done. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, I can believe that tombs would be released. I can believe they couldn't charge him on murder because they didn't have enough evidence. And I can believe that there are people who would be like, hey, this guy's rehabilitated. Let's get him out. He was under a lot of stress and he attacks someone and it happens to everybody. It should not happen to everybody. But well, I mean, they release everybody from Arkham Asylum all the time. Right. So I mean, maybe not? I just grew you up know. on Batman. Maybe that's why I don't have a big problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are things that like don't make like the tooth thing. The own intelligent thing was unnecessary. Some of the stuff was kind of silly. Like, as we pointed out, there were some things like tombs going like through the toilet. licking the fingers after the rat thing. Like, where did that come from? I mean, from? I could see him, That's like, just... having a blood iron thing because he's not getting, he hasn't had the liver It wasn't so a long. bloody rat. It was just a dead, wet yeah, rat in the gutter. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. But then, on the other hand, you have Skinner. You have the cigarette smoking man. You have Mulder and Scully. I feel like this episode further... Well, in mutual appreciation of their mission with the X-Files and also respect and possibly a little crush going. It might be love. I, I think it's pretty soon, but then I don't know. What do I know about those things? He's called her Dana. She's called him Fox. I, I mean, mean they might as well just kid. get married at that point. Yeah, and have kids. You use each other's yeah. first names. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, but I feel like this episode does a lot to further... Like, both their characters, because it, it does firmly plant Scully on the side of, like, I'm, w- I'm with Mulder now, and, like, this is where I'm standing. And it brings in this other force. And it also, like, furthers the series and that, like, there are forces at work that clearly want to shut down the X-Files even more aggressively, maybe, than before. And Cigarette Smoking Man. So I feel like it, it's really good on those things. Just the actual plot kind of was lagging in between those things. So you're telling me it's really good except for the actual episode. Well, those things are part of the episode. And I feel like those parts of the episode worked really well. And for me as a fan of the X-Files was like, you know, so exciting to see these people and to hear William B. Davis actually get to speak. And as far as character development and like story development series wise in a series arc way, it does a lot of work. Like, this episode does a lot of lifting. The tomb stuff, I mean, it makes sense that he, they, you know, they need to stop him. I think, I feel like the plot on paper is very, it makes sense. It's good. They need to get this guy. Um, I, I feel like the ex- that either, but execution, not so great. I mean, if the plot, you mean elevator pitch of like, hey, tombs comes back. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. When tombs comes back, Mulder and Scully have to catch him before he manages. Okay, yeah. That part is fine. That sounds great. Yeah, not not a great execution. So I think I'm going to give it a seven, like I gave Squeeze. Oh. But it's getting it's getting extra points for Skinner, for Scully and Mulder's character development, and for Cigarette Smoking Man actually finally coming in with some words and existing, you know, becoming more of a character. So those things are big. Those extra points are what pumps it up to seven, is what you're telling me? Yeah, so the arc. Okay. The arc. Okay. The stuff that it does for the show overall. I feel like does enough that it gets that high of a score. I feel like without that stuff, it would probably be like a four. Okay. And I would rewatch it, but I would rewatch it for Skinner, for Mulder and Scully's interactions for the cigarette smoking man. I wouldn't rewatch it for like the tomb stuff, which is fine. It's just there. Yeah. So that's where I am. I'm giving it a seven. 
I just wanted to verify because you said you're going to give it a seven, and then you said it gets extra points for right. Yeah, no, that's fair. Wasn't sure where you were going with that. <laughs> no, those so, extra okay. points are included. Like, They're I just, included I just, in the seven. <laughs> I just typed seven in the spreadsheet, and now you're telling me there's extra point. Do I need to put an asterisk? What am I doing? I no, don't know. points okay. included. Seven. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go. I don't think I need to give any more exposition about how I felt. I think that's all been expressed in the episode. <laughs> and I'm going to go with a three. Okay. Yes. I mean, that makes sense to me, too, because I agree. There's a lot of stuff in this episode that could have been done a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Like and that sandwich everything. thing. I can't believe I had to watch the scene three times to figure out that she didn't have it's like a bonus so, sandwich. So that's the thing. This episode is badly. <laughs> it's badly written. It's also really badly directed, in my opinion. What else did like, David Nutter direct? He's directed for Well, he directed right? he directed Ice. I like that. He did Ice. Beyond the Sea, which was also, I think, relatively well directed. Yep. He did Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus had some issues yeah. Um, yeah. with some, yeah, but some of that was also, again, story stuff, which was not Morgan and Wong. Morgan, mostly. And um, he directed Shapes, which definitely had some... Yeah, had some issues. I mean, I mean, well, it had story issues. I think it also had some director issues because yeah. of just the way things were shot. And then he does this one, and then he's going to be directing episode 23. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, that sandwich thing is good. <laughs> that knocked it down to an eight alone, or from an eight. I mean, Ice, I think, was pretty well directed. Yeah, Ice was good. I mean, like yeah. I said before, I think, I I think Ice was ice I think Ice was his probably best directed episode, in my yeah. opinion, for the season. So. Yeah, yeah, but the rest, the rest were kind of like, I mean, Beyond the Sea was good. Like, I kind of, like, the big focus on, like, the Blue Devil was kind of like, eh, but I'm like, what else are you going to do with that? Of course, you're going to focus on the Blue Devil. So I can't really knock him down for that. But, like, Lazarus, there were a couple things I could point out that I'm not going to, because we probably talked about that in that episode. Shapes definitely had some directorial issues along with the story itself. And then this one definitely has some direction, again, that goes with the story itself, too. So... Yeah, it's hard to say like how much of it is the director making choices and how much of it is like this is what the script yeah. says. Well, I mean, a lot of it is what the script says because like the story itself is the story, right? And so that was obviously written, but like right. just oh, like, yeah. well, how do you show that? There's a lot of just like you know, Scully with the sandwich and like just like like some of like just Tomb's acting, even like the the actor who does it is just like he's like over the top in some of his scenes on this one. Like when he's tracking down the lady in the purple trench coat and he's just all like, mm, like going like he's a zombie or something. Apparently at conventions after this episode aired, which is when X-Files conventions really took off because they weren't really popular in season one. Um, the actor has said like, he'd love to come back as tombs again. Like, I don't think he, he ever would. does. And it's no, kind of implied so. that he's dead at the end of this, but yeah. we never get a definitive there. No, and like we said before this episode even aired, he'd already written right. a whole another like story <laughs> so, that he said to Chris Carter. <laughs> which it was, is like, hilarious. The origin of tombs. I love that. And I think he even read like he was working on like doing like a, like a like wanted to like almost like like lecture like have a series of, that's all about tombs like oh man the, like the pre years and all that kind of stuff yeah. it's like hey, like dude you you had your shot okay it's cool but you need to move on yeah it's not enough <laughs> I don't care enough about tombs for that this is good enough no especially after this episode that's <laughs> true because like, this well, episode you <sighs> did it too much yeah it was a little it was a little much but you I know. I will say like his choice to go. I mean, he apparently refused to even wear a G-string in the scene. Like, he just wanted to be like, no, I'm going to be buck naked in the scene. <laughs> buck naked was kind of like, covered mm-hmm. in caro syrup. Yeah. But I get the scene. Like, he wouldn't be in there in his clothes. I get that. They wanted him to be dressed. And he was like, no, he wouldn't be dressed. So I get that argument. I'm not sure. I just like, I need to have all my junk hanging out during the scene. Like, you know, you could wear, like, <laughs> some underwear or whatever. But 
yeah, so I get that, but yeah, I definitely he was like, This is my wagon train, I'm gonna hitch on <laughs> and I'm gonna <laughs> so yeah. I mean, if I got a guest appearance on the X Files and it turned into this successful juggernaut, I would want to be back as much as possible. <laughs> well, I mean, back to Skinner, apparently your buddy Mitch, Mitch he had been he had been I I knew I wouldn't be able to say his name right, so I said your buddy Mitch because I knew I'd mess his name up. So he apparently had been auditioning for a bunch of roles earlier in the season and and never got callbacks. And so the he's actually now like he's kind of glad he didn't get those jobs because if he had got one of those jobs, he probably would have been like a one and done, right? Or maybe like you know I was in season one as this character and I come back in season whatever as this character because apparently the guy who plays Doctor Plith he actually comes back like five or six more times in the show, mm-hmm. but not as that character, right, just an actor people. playing someone else. And so, you know, he probably would have been that way, but he ended up by getting Skinner. Boom. Now he's like a recurring character, like, you know, all the way through the series. He's like in an episode of the lone gunman, I believe. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was probably better for him not to get those earlier jobs oh, yeah. than to get this one. So. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think Mitch Flaggy's on Twitter. I think in a previous episode, I said he was, there are a lot of people who use his name and likeness, but I don't, none of them are like official. They're all just like fan accounts. Oh, I don't no think there's an actual Mitch Pelegi. Cause I looked after I said that and I'm like, no, actually I don't think he's on here. So oh, I was wrong. So okay. I, I apologize to Mitch Pelegi who is living his Twitter free life. And honestly, I'm kind of jealous. So good. Yeah. Thing, I think man. he still does like conventions and stuff. Though, oh, probably. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he's been at Kim. Well, he also was in. Well, I mean, not this year, obviously. Yeah. But- he was in Supernatural as a pretty big part too for a while, and okay. he's been in some other stuff that are you know big fandom things. So I'm sure he does all kinds of conventions. Yeah. And... Well, he did the 2008 reboot of In Search of. He was the host for that as well. <gasps> yeah. How did I not know that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That might come up in a discussion at some <gasps> point, possibly. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I am yeah. a huge fan, obviously, of the Leonard Nimoy version. Because I was a young and watching that in the seventies. And uh, I have obviously yeah. been sleeping on in search of because I love Leonard Nimoy and Mitch Pelegi. So what yeah. the heck happened to me? I want to say it was two thousand eight, and they did like the History Channel did another reboot, which I think also has been canceled. Did like maybe two seasons. The guy who does the newer reboot, he's the guy who plays Spock in the new movies. So they oh, were like, "Oh, we had Leonard Zachary Nimoy doing Quinto. this one. Let's have this guy doing." Yeah. That's his name. Yeah. What you said. I can't. Yeah. Yep. So, but I think that only went like for two seasons. And I want to say that was okay. like in 2016, 2016, huh. 2017. But I'm pretty sure the Mitch Flegge one was, uh, did I say it right? No, Mitch Flegge. Flegge. It's a P. Well, I know it's a P, but like F, like P8, P, 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 F, P, H, P, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's Pelegi. It's okay. So Mitch Pelegi. Well, so I've been saying it wrong for 25 years, which is entirely possible, by the way. So. For the majority of my life, <laughs> I called John Byrne, the comic book artist. I called him John Brine because I like have like apparently some kind of dyslexia when I say I things. Do. I do so, too, actually. So yeah. I have a mild so dyslexia, I tend to, so I tend like, to switch things. There are probably, I know in this episode, I've done it twice and I'm going to cut it out, but I tend to call Blevins Belvins sometimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But yeah, no, I mix stuff up like that and then I just get it in my head and I can't say it the other way because that's yeah. like how I've been saying it. So, so but yeah, but I'm pretty sure his in search of thing was 2008. <laughs> okay, I mean, I have cool. the DVD, I had the DVD set of the entire thing. So yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So next week we're going to be talking about Born Again, which sounds like it could be really scary for several different reasons. Mm. Is it going to be about evangelical Christians? 
I mean, that could be pretty frightening. Yeah. I, mean, I actually we, know because I accidentally looked ahead in my book, and so I actually know what the plot is. Is it about reincarnation? Yes. Oh, okay. I was like, there's there's kind of a couple of ways you could go with this. Like, <laughs> we've already had like dead people, which yes. I thought would have been I thought Lazarus would have been. I mean, I guess in a way Lazarus was dead people coming back to life, but Miracle Man was definitely dead people coming back to life. Yes. And then we've got we had Young at Heart, which was like almost immortality stuff. And then we've got born like there was a lot of titles here that you could almost swap them around. So because I could have easily seen Miracle Man being called Lazarus. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It actually makes more sense. But then I don't know what you would call Lazarus because I don't know. There's no name that really fits that one. Yeah. Well, plus, that's he only resurrected one dude. It's just that dude had a big thing about it and was that's really true. pissed. Yeah, he was kind of hung <laughs> up. Yeah, he had like, some... That's the only time he ever did it and clearly like learned his lesson. But, man, yeah. that guy would not give up. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> And, and, he's honestly, a, and he's apparently, I mean, I can't remember the dude's name now. It's only been, what, four episodes, and I totally can't remember the character's name now. But the Miracle Man is apparently out and about. He's not going to show up, though. That'd be cool if he did. Yeah. And Eve. I'd like to see Eve again. I would like to see Eve again, too. She's pretty awesome. I would like yeah. her to come back for a reason. I don't think she does, but that was a no, wasted she opportunity. Doesn't. No, no. Yeah, so I don't think we need to stretch this episode out anymore. Nope, we're good. With our, with our side track. Our random blather. Our blah, little blah, blah, tangents. Blah. So, Tombs is in the tomb. Tombs is in the tomb. Dun, dun, dun. Tombs is in the tomb. Where it belongs. Except all the Mulder and Skelly Skinner and Secret I mean, I Man. guess they might have to like scrape his bits out of the escalator. But. Yeah, that's pretty gross. There should have been more blood in the escalator. But I also am like, well, they had to make sure they didn't get stuff in there to mess up the escalator. So right. that's probably why we only got a little bit of blood. I don't think again, he's that's dead. How escalators work, he can so, stretch yeah. pretty well. I think he's fine. Hmm. I have a theory. Did they find a body? I don't think so. They don't say. <laughs> I don't know. It never actually confirms that. So who knows? It doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. He doesn't come back, though. So he's just dead in the escalator. They're just like, I'll ah, leave him there. Yep. All right. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. Episode production, editing, and mixing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode 22, Born Again. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there.
So then we cut to 66 Exeter Street, Baltimore. Oh, wait. No, we don't. No. <laughs> I, skipped, I skipped my own part and started doing your part. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yes. It is bold. Um, <laughs> also, we're used to the notes being colored, not the... Well, it's bold, and then there's red on top, and then right. I, I inserted some little red in the middle that I just have to, like, I can't wait till the end to say that, because, like, come, come No, on. we should talk about it. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, okay. 